Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another off-season edition of the Soccer Speakeasy. Tuesday, December 10th, about the halfway point between the conclusion of MLS Cup and the start of the 2020 season. It's kind of hard to believe. I'm Jacob Myers, crew beat writer here at the Columbus Dispatch, hosting this program by myself this week. Patrick Flaherty is on the dials as usual. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have a special guest today. He's been on the program before, and you know him as the man with perhaps the most knowledge about this organization. He's a writer of massive stories on massive subjects. At least that's what his Twitter bio says. We'll have to ask him if, if that's really the case. Crew historian Steve Sirk joined the pod today to discuss his latest book, A Massive Collection, Volume 1. Came out a couple months ago. I bought it at Prologue Bookshop down in the short north, which is basically across from Melt, the restaurant Melt there, if you're looking where that is. I got a signed copy done nonetheless. There's a a few more there. I believe it's selling pretty well. The store is actually fairly close to um, where the Cruise Experience Center will be, so it wouldn't make a bad holiday gift for the crew fan or just the generic soccer fan in your family either. Cirque does a wonderful job of capturing little details and some of the club's most historic moments over its 24-year history. And there's some fantastic anecdotes in there as well um, that I'm sure many of you probably didn't know unless you heard it from Cirque yourself about Lamar Hunt and a renowned Save the Crew moment, uh, a viral moment. And we talked about that in our conversation. We discuss a lot more with Cirque, so stay tuned for that. First, there's a little crew news to get out of the way first. On December 4th, the crew signed center back Axel Schuberg who was placed on waivers by the Rapids. He's 28 with five years of MLS experience. Schubert played just eight games in 2019 and has had his playing time steadily decreased because of injuries and just seemed to fall out of favor a little bit with the Rapids. They've had some coaching changes, and he put out a statement that said something to the effect of it's a good change of pace, a time for him to get new scenery. So, you know, he's a guy who was the best defender on the Rapids in the 2016 season when they were the best defense in the league. Uh, Schuberg was named to the MLS Best 11, and he was a finalist for Defender of the Year as well. He's six foot seven, which I'd imagine has to be at least close to the tallest player in club history, if not the tallest. He's Swedish, but when he signed a three-year contract extension in July 17, the Rapids' team release at that time said he obtained a, a green card, so Schuberg will not occupy an international roster spot, which is good news for the crew. And I'd have to imagine that his contract expires at the end of this coming season, the 2020 season, if he signed a three-year extension in the, in the middle of 2017, unless the crew decide to resign him, which they have not signed him to a new deal. 
with just three center backs on the roster entering the offseason. That would be Jonathan Mensah, Josh Williams, and Abub Karkeda. Schuberg adds the type of MLS experience and a little bit of veteran leadership that they wanted to see. Uh, he came cheap. He made about $175,000 in 2019, according to the salary data from the Players Union. So overall, not a bad ad. And there have been rumors as well as the crew adding another center back. There was a Norwegian outlet who has linked Dutch center back Vita Warmgor. I hope I pronounced that correctly to the crew. He's played the past three seasons in Norway. I, I have nothing new to report on that per se, but when I do, you'll absolutely uh, be the first to know. You can check out my Twitter feed at Jacob underscore Myers underscore two five. And any story will be on dispatch.com as well. And also join our Columbus Crew SC fans Facebook page if you have not done so yet. All the content gets posted there as well. Adding another center back would make sense for the crew. So if I hear anything on that regard, check those channels for updates. I'll let you know when I know things. Also in today's dispatch, there's an article detailing how much is being spent privately and publicly on the stadium here in Columbus versus what is being spent on the stadium in Austin, as well as why that might be. I thought it laid out a lot of of interesting things there, so be sure to read that in its entirety. Also, MLS announced some dates for the upcoming season. It announced all home openers for the 26 teams in the league. The crew will start the season at home, much like they did last year. Sunday, March 1st is the season and home opener against New York City FC, the reigning Eastern Conference champs. That's at 12.30 p.m. at Moffrey Stadium on, on March 1st, 2020. So the crew's miss countdown is officially on. The full release of the schedule usually comes out just before preseason opens, which is January 18th for the crew. The schedule was released January 7th last year when I went to check, so be on the lookout for that, and tickets are uh, on sale for that home opener as well. So that kind of wraps that up. Now here's our interview with Steve Sirk about his new book, A Massive Collection, Volume 1. So Steve, thanks for doing this. I believe you've been on this program before. How's the off-season treating you so far? Well, off-season's been busy. Sold the house, getting the house, and just all sorts of craziness and and the book coming out so yeah it's had a lot going on how are book sales they're doing fine doing fine we've um we did a pre-sale through the nordeca and kind of used it as a as a fundraiser we've got you know it's available on amazon and barnes and noble and stuff online but also a prologue bookshop in the short north has been stocking copies you know so if people want to buy local and have a local option and they actually sold out of their first order so got to get more to them this week so we'll be back in stock Good. I think like Wednesday. So, so yeah, it's been going well. Good to hear. Yeah, that's where I got my copy, and you signed my copy. So this is this is me thanking you. <laughs> I want to start this kind of at a macro level, and then and then get a little granular with some of these stories. First of all, why did you want to write this type of book that is essentially just a compilation of everything you could find and a couple spectacular original stories as well? How, how did you just get the idea of doing this book? I mean, it's always been. You know, kind of a, a someday. You know, you, you kind of hoard your stuff over the years. Um, but the, the thing that ended up kicking it off was back in early 2016. So Mark Doherty, who used to play goalkeeper for the Crew back in the 90s and early 2000s, he was the starting goalkeeper in the first game at Montpellier Stadium. His then fiance, now wife, she she found like an old article I wrote about him like back in 1999. You know, she kind of unearthed it and. Somehow, I guess she was talking to Erica Kress in the front office and mentioned it to her or sent it to her or something. And then Erica, being thoughtful, just thought like, oh, he, he might enjoy reading this old article he wrote, you know, forwarded it to me. And that kind of kicked it off because I was like, man, like this, this was like a story that 
you know, no one is ever going to see again, right? Unless you're really sleuthing it on like Internet Archive or something. Um, and then I just kind of started thinking, like, yeah, there's like a lot of stuff like that that's, you know, kind of gets lost through the cracks, you know, over the years. And you know, the Internet isn't quite as permanent as we all imagine it to be when we're putting stuff up there. So I just kind of started thinking, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that that'll fall through the cracks unless you know you kind of make a point to collect it all and share it and preserve it. So, yeah, so uh, Jane, uh, Mark Doherty's wife, kind of unearthing that old story and Erica passing it along kind of set the, the wheels in motion in my brain. How long did it take for you to, to do this and through all of kind of your search of your archives too? And, and how often were you working on it? So I started, you know, once I had the basic idea in early 2016, yeah, you know, I kind of started the search in earnest, you know, kind of going through boxes and old hard drives and <laughs> floppy disks and, you know, all sorts of artifacts. The one thing that killed me was I had a hard drive crash and I lost all of my, or just all, all of my 2004 and 2005 writing, you know, like way back when. And, you know, so I kept holding out hope. I was trying to find like every avenue possible, like who might have this story or that story or could it exist somewhere. And so I spent a lot of time on that dead end. But yeah, so it was, it was just a, a, you know, a lot of just going through a lot of stuff. And so, and then I, you know, along the way, like I, um, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking about like Founders Park at the front of the stadium and how that's one of my favorite places. And I, and I had stuff I wrote after, uh, Kirk or so passed away and Tom Fitzgerald passed away. And, you know, they have memorial rocks out there. But I was like, I never wrote anything about Lamar Hunt after he passed away. So I was like, oh, well, I, I can make a whole section of the book, but I need to, write a Lamar chapter. So I think in 2017, I kind of set out to do that, like in the spring of 2017, and, you know, talk to some people and talk to Jamie Roots, who was the first GM, who's now the president of the Houston Texans. And, you know, so I kind of added some stuff there, too, and, and kind of was plugging away on it, thinking I was going to, you know, put it out, like, in late 2017, and then uh, things got weird. With, with the relocation announcement mm-hmm. and everything. So then it just it got kind of set on hold. And then, you know, around this, around the start of the year, once we knew the crew were saved and they were going to be here and, you know, my energies were not focused on all of that, you know, I kind of circled back to it and added a few more things and found a few more things along the way and had it about ready to go in the summer. And then there were just other, you know, just the tiniest issues you can imagine, you know, just finding typos or... right you know, getting the coverage just right, you know, things like that that end up taking way more time than, than you ever imagined they will. And, and I finally got it out in October. When you were putting all this together, November, I should say. in November, when you were putting all this together, and I'm sure people reading this who probably remember some of these events might have some emotional reaction to reliving them a little bit. Did, did you feel that as well as you were editing or, or writing original stories and and why do you feel like maybe just kind of the smallest facts that you put in there would you have a lot of small anecdotes why do you feel like all those kind of make for such a visceral reaction to a book like this yeah i, I certainly felt it you know i'm you know going through all this stuff and it just brings back so many memories and it, it kind of just puts you back in that time and place you know for, for me as someone who's lived it you know for someone on the outside you know this could all be stuff that's new to them or a, or an era of crew soccer that they hadn't experienced you know like maybe they became a fan five years ago and this is all you know learning history to them or something but yeah and i think a lot of those little details though i mean in general i'm a, I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff because you, know, you can kind of get like the big overarching story of 
a team or a player of the season. But I always kind of like those just little moments or, you know, just the little details that, you know, are affixed to that, like, place and time and, and, and you know, that kind of put you there a little more than just kind of like a overall summary of a, of a player or a season or a game or something. You know, I, I think it just, you know, it transports you a little more, maybe. Yeah, completely agree. I think those little nuggets uh, really make a big, big difference, and I'll mention a few of those. Well, there are quite a few standout chapters, if, if you'll call them chapters, in this book. There's tremendous rehashing of Josh Williams' unorthodox journey to MLS, and frankly, you know, learning and getting to talk to him this year, it, you can see a lot of how that molded him into the person he is today, or just it makes sense knowing him now. Mm-hmm to see that kind of unorthodox journey play out. And then you got, you know, the infamous scoreboard fire, a retelling of the 2015 MLS Cup where I could, I could really feel the heartbreak through that reading and what, what you had written and some good tongue-in-cheek stories. But there were there were three that really stuck out to me and I'll, I'll touch on here. I'll start where uh, I immediately had a question. You had a, a farewell kind of to Siggy Schmidt after his death, which is coming up on a, on a year now on Christmas Day, kind of kind of hard to believe. Mm-hmm. You talk about going out to Seattle to cross off uh, Safeco. I, is it, I believe it's still called Safeco, from your checklist of uh, mm-hmm. MLB stadiums to visit. You didn't really know Siggy mm-hmm. all that well, but he heard you were coming out there and ended up contacting the Mariners front office and getting you tickets. You say, I'll just read a little excerpt, I know I'm far from the only person on the planet wishing for one more phone call or one more conversation with Siggy Schmidt. And if heaven started giving them out, I'd gladly take my place at the very rear of a very long line. And then I'd wait for it just for the chance to say thank you, not just for bringing MLS Cup to Columbus, but mostly for being someone who truly cared about people regardless of whether anything was in it for him. I have a Seattle Mariners ticket stub to prove it. You also write how you two were supposed to talk in September about some crew history questions and then some health issues and other unfortunate circumstances popped up for you. So I wanted to ask, what were you going to ask him and why maybe were those answers important to you, if you can remember? Oh, yeah. It was, um, I had found out, well, I guess I had known, but I just started, you know, thinking of it again. And I I think maybe talking to Mark McCullers, the former GM, kind of put it back in my mind that before the cruise signed uh, Guillermo Barros Scalotto, they tried to bring McBride back, and Brian McBride was very close to coming back to the crew. Um, and then and he seriously thought he was coming back to the crew, and then at the last minute, uh, you know, Fulham made him an offer he, you know, he couldn't refuse, where he ended up staying, and then the crew ended up signing Scalotto. So I was kind of curious as to you know, kind of like, I mean, to me, it was just kind of like a fascinating parallel history sort sure. of thing. Like, like what would have happened had they signed McBride? Like, would they still have signed Scalotto? But then, obviously, they wouldn't go out and trade for like an Alejandro Moreno because they'd have Brian McBride. Um, and then, if they signed McBride, what sort of, you know, and if they did still go out and get Scalotto, how would that have changed things? What would, how would Figgy have built the team differently? You know, it was just that kind of, kind of stuff. Because I thought it was kind of like an interesting what if, you know. One of those like sliding doors things, right? You know, if McBride comes back, how does that change the construction of what ultimately was an MLS Cup championship team? And I was, yeah, just kind of curious to pick Ziggy's brain about, you know, what was kind of going through his head at the time. And yeah, I think we were supposed to talk in, I think maybe like September, but then the week I was going to call him was the week he left the Galaxy. 
So I was kind of like, oh, well, I'll just let it, I'll let it slide for a little bit, you know, give him some, give him some room, you know, for that. And then, yeah, then I ended up having like a kidney stone that lasted forever, you know, it just kind of went on and on. And then I had to leave town for wedding and then the holidays were coming up. It was just one thing after another. Um, and so in my mind, I was just like, okay, you know what, like as soon as we get through the holidays and everything kind of gets back to normal, you know, I'll, I'll call Ziggy because it wasn't like time sensitive, you know, important stuff, you know. And then obviously he, he, I, I didn't, you know, know about his health issues at the time, and right. then you know, kind of became public in early December, and then uh, you know, sadly he ended up passing away, you know, later that month. And you know, I mean, we all know that everybody, that we all know that nobody lives forever, right? But you, you know, you always think there's, but there's still tomorrow, you know, or something like that. And it really, it really kind of hit, just hit hard because it was. I mean, it's going to hit hard no matter what, right? Cause right. Everybody loves Ziggy, but but then you know, then I kind of kicked myself too because it's like, man, you know, that that would have been, you know, wish I would have had a chance to catch up with him one more time and and you know, pick his brain about this one thing, but also you know, just just catch up to him. Oh yeah, because I was I was supposed to see him at the or I would have seen him at the they did the 10th anniversary mm-hmm. thing at the stadium and and I felt ill that day and didn't make it to the stadium. It was just like one thing after another. And then we never ended up uh, connecting, and and you know, so it, it, it kind of just compounds the sense of loss when you were supposed to talk with someone, and you know, events kind of conspired. Sure. Yeah. Well, the anecdote make it, make it not happen. The anecdote you paint in there is um, a, li- a little similar in ways to Lamar, the ones you have in the Lamar Hunt chapter, which I I think is probably your most detailed chapter in this book, and one that is probably my favorite. You mentioned. I believe it it was at Dublin when they were unveiling what the stadium might look like before the current Crew Stadium, Moffrey Stadium, was built, and they were looking at the Dublin site. And he told you how he was intent on not taking the crew and moving the club elsewhere, even though he had no connection to Columbus, but it was the community and and fans that um, showed him a lot of heart that they have in the club. And then there's an anecdote. I actually just passed this McDonald's near the airport today. There's Everyone knows which one it is, right? I'm assuming it's the one when yeah. you kind of leave baggage claim yeah. there. There's an anecdote where after the vote, um, Hunt and Jamie Roots, the crew president and GM at the time, were at that McDonald's, and Hunt was already looking at a map for a place to put the land. And I, I won't spoil all the anecdotes in there because I – people should read this book and see him for themselves but there's another i highlighted where he's introducing a, f- a fan as his friend scott to investors in a potential expansion club for oklahoma city why did you feel that chapter in particular was one to expand on well i mean it's i think there's a lot of people that were around during the the lamar hunt era you know you would just kind of hear these little stories of you know things that Lamar would do, and you would just kind of laugh, right? Because this guy's like in multiple halls of fame. You know, he's a billionaire. He's, you know, and he was just the most regular, down to earth guy. And so you know, you'd, you'd see him like picking up trash around the stadium, and and you know, just doing. Uh, you know, he'd fly coach. You know, no no private jets or first class or anything. He'd like fly coach and then just drive his own rental car. You know, and wouldn't have like limo service or anything. You know, he and he and he was very good with people and and, and you know he really connected with people and, and really cared about people. So yeah, um, when that when that you know fan is talking to him and he, you know it's it's not just like a oh hey Lamar you're awesome oh yeah thanks and then that's that you know he circles back around a little later and starts recounting details of the conversation that they had earlier that day. 
and introduces this, this man as his friend and starts telling these investors all about him, you know. So um, there, were, there were just a lot of Lamar stories, and I and I and it really came back to that time um, with the you know unveiling the proposed Dublin Stadium, and and I just happened to be lingering near the end, and you would have thought we were like best friends. You know, he he was just so happy to talk to me and 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 you know and wanted to know my thoughts on things and and you know he really had a way of uh not not only making you feel like you were an important person and he cared what you say but i mean he actually did and um yeah i just i just figured you know there were just so many lamar stories from you know from that era you know so i decided to talk to some people that were you know around at that time and and connect some of them and that <laughs> that conversation about the McDonald's, you know, really ended up hitting home. So I had that conversation in May of 2017 with Jamie Roots, um, and I never could have imagined how how hard that was gonna, you know, hit in the heart. You know, come October of 2017 when mm-hmm. the, the relocation was announced, and and you know, and here was a guy who you know pretty much had you know every reason I guess or he didn't have any reason to keep sticking his neck out for Columbus like he did you know he, he wasn't from here you know didn't have any any you know ties with the community he was in that lawsuit over the hockey team which he lost um, you know he, he could have very easily just you know picked up stakes and, and left and no one really could have blamed him and it was, it was a new league a new team you know it wasn't even like a institution at that point you know and and, and he was just adamant that you know there were a lot of people that cared about the team and there there was much part of the Columbus crew and he he owed it to them to to do everything he could to keep the team there and then when they you know when they lost that Dublin Stadium vote you know Jamie Roots was dejected because he's you know like he felt like he was committed to Columbus he wanted to stay but it's not his team you know he didn't right. know what was going to happen and and then uh, you know, <laughs> then he sees Lamar looking at that map at McDonald's and. You know, and he asked him, he's like, oh, so we're not moving. And he, he said it was great because Lamar wasn't even like, oh, no, 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 we're not. It was just like, why in the world would we do that? Right. And, and Jamie said that was all that was all he needed to hear. And, you know, a few months later, the uh, Crew Stadium, or now Mafre Stadium, you know, this was, was on the path to coming into existence. Well, um, so, so, that, so that really that really hit home, you know, a few months later after I had that conversation with Jamie Roots because it was... Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of a fitting contrast, I guess, if you will. Well, we we talk about how important, and as writers, we love those little nuggets. Now, like I did today, every time someone passes that McDonald's and and hears that story or, or has read that story, they're going to be thinking of that time Lamar Hunt was looking at a map and Mafre Stadium was kind of kind of built into <laughs> existence from there. I love that it was McDonald's, you know. Yeah. I remember I told, Wasn't it Jim Smith? Jim Smith that's, uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I asked Jim Smith. I was like, do you know, I, like, I can't even remember where I heard the story first. Someone told it to me. And, I, and so I was like, oh, Jim might know. And I asked Jim, and he was just like, oh, my God. He's like, I haven't heard that story, but you have to ask Jamie because if it was McDonald's, that's the most Lamar Hunt thing ever. <laughs> and and Jamie confirmed, yes, it was at the airport McDonald's, you know, so no no fancy dinners for Lamar. It was Airport McDonald's for dinner. And one of uh, one of the best anecdotes in, in there is actually just a footnote where you and I think it illustrates a lot about Lamar because it's in another place in another team where he forgot his wallet and uh, the woman at the 
cash register giving him a hot dog uh, on the concourse said, oh, he's the owner, just give him it. And he said, no, no, I'll be right back. And he comes back with his wallet and pays for it. Um, th- th- those are just absolute gold uh, when you're writing something like this. But so, so the last excerpt I'll talk about is this incredible moment of how Bismarcky, Nadie's 90s rapper, became forever embedded in crude lore, if you will. It, it's honestly the most insane story I think I've read in some time. I'm sure most people who listen to this podcast know the gist of it, uh, but, but I'll rehash some of it. So in the early days of the Save the Crew movement, Morgan Hughes tweeted a video of Bismarcky singing his hit single, Just a Friend, to the tune of what the Nordak sings, which is, crew, you got what I need. It's never going to end, and it's never going to end. And Marquis is asked by Karen Cronally's brother, Matt, at a Tesla at a Tesla charging station to change those lyrics to "Crew, you got what I need. You got to save the crew. You got to save the crew." At the at the request of Cronally, she sends it to Hughes, and and there you have it. Needless to say, it blows up on Twitter. The movement has a national presence, at least online, before it could even show its presence on national television in a game. First off, this story is just incredible. The fact that this even happened is like the smallest pro- probability possible. And that it happened at a Tesla charging station in Maryland just adds to the hilarity of it all. And then months later, Marky and Matt see each other again in a hotel in Cleveland. So, I, I mean, just when you're collecting all this, what is going through your mind when you first heard this story? You know, it, it got to be... You know, I think it was probably like around June. Book was almost done, and I had that section of the book called like surreal events. And I was like, you know what? You know what was really surreal was the whole Bismarcky thing. And I was like, you know, I should track down that story because I was completely blown away by it when it happened. You know, I, I mean, I remember the day seeing the video on Twitter, and I'm just like, what on earth? Like, so, so you almost possible? didn't even have it in your book. No, no, I, I, I didn't. And as I was kind of looking through, I'm like, okay, I'm like pretty much done. I, mean, I was like, you know, but I've got this section called Surreal Events. I think I had another, I think I had something else in there, but I was like, you know, really the most surreal thing, well, apart from the scoreboard fire, is the, the Bismarck Key thing. And I was like, you know, I really should track that down and put it in, in volume one here. Um, and so I called Morgan, because he's the one who tweeted it out. And I had a brief conversation with him, like the day it happened, and I'm sure he heard from about a million people that day. Sure. Um, you know, and I hadn't really, you know, followed up on it or, you know, talked about it since. So, you know, I, call, I called Morgan. He kind of set me down the path of what he, what parts he knew. And then, uh, you know, I just kind of started from there, started following the trail and, and talking to the, you know, the people involved, which, uh, you know, turned out to be, uh, um, you know Alex Cronalli's family, like his his parent, his mom, and his aunt mm-hmm. and uncle. Um, you know, kind of followed through with them, and, and you know, got got all their you know recollections. And and at the time, I was like, okay, you know, this is great. I, you know, I kind of wrote it up really fast, and then just on a lark, I was like, oh, I'll reach out to to business people and you know <laughs> see if they'll actually respond or if I'll hear back from them. And and this kind of gets to the you know sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, right? I just kind of threw that email out there, didn't hear anything and, and, you know, didn't necessarily expect it. Right. You just got to do it. I wasn't like, yeah, I I wasn't like doggedly, um, um, you know, like following up on it or trying to make it happen. It was like, I'll just throw it out there on a lark and and see if I hear back. Um, 
And then, so that was like in June. And I was just ready to go, like, folks almost on. But like I said, sometimes you get those, you know, delays, like, like, oh, I found some typos or, you know, there's some, you know, cover stuff we need to work on and, and so on. I just kind of kept pushing it out, pushing it out, pushing yeah. it out. And then in October, we already had the pre-sale going through the, the Nordeca site. And I was like a week away from order, doing the print order for those pre-sales. And I was like moving out of my house that weekend. So this was on a Thursday afternoon. And Friday I was getting like new windows and then I was moving out on Saturday to go up to Cleveland and everything. And so it's already just like a chaotic time. <laughs> and then I, like on a Thursday, I get an email from someone I don't recognize. And it says something about Columbus Crew in the headline. And I was like, what, what's going on? I open it up and it was someone from, from Bismarck's people. <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he'd, he'd be happy to do the interview. You know, he's available, like, these times, these days. And I'm, I mean, part of me is like, this is incredible. And part of me is like, seriously, like, right now. Because, you know, the book's just about to come out, and I'm in the middle of moving and you know, all this stuff. So, you know, I get so I, I write that person back. And yeah, I looked at the email chain, you know, it got passed around a few times. Like, I, I didn't necessarily contact the right person. It was okay. just the person I found. And, you know, I kind of made its way through the the system, if you will, until it got to the right person. Yeah. So none, um, nonetheless, you, you got him and he tells you, <laughs> he tells you he had no idea it got so popular when the number pops yeah. up on your phone. I mean, did you know it's biz calling you and, and how do you begin well, that conversation? How did you kind of handle the fact that the book was coming out and everything? Well, it was great. So I told him, I was like, okay, I need to talk to him like tomorrow if, if this is going to happen, you know, cause I'm like, I'm up against the deadline to get this thing out. And so the next day, and they were just like, oh, yeah, you're like, here's the cell phone number. Call them at 1 o'clock. And so I'm, I'm at my house. Like, I'm getting windows replaced. And, you know, it sounds like gra- glass breaking. And, you know, chaos in my house. I just go out in my car. I'm just sitting outside in my car. And I, I give him a call, and, and there he is. And I'm just like, okay, this is really happening. This is real life. I'm talking to Bismarck he about saving the crew. And, yeah, it's great. You know, we talked for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes or something like that. Do you and, save the and, number? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We just in we case every couple of weeks. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was just kind of, it was it was fun to just kind of hear it, you know, from his end, because you know uh, Matt, the guy who who talked to him, uh, you know, he was very reluctant to go and because he had already talked to Biz and he didn't want to bug him again with an agenda and, and all this stuff, and, and so I was kind of curious to see if you know Biz was kind of like, oh yeah, this guy's coming back, Ugh. you know, but. But no, he just said, uh, you know, he said, you know, people ask him to do that all the time, and or you know, to, to at least sing "Just a Friend," you sing his song mm-hmm. all the time. And normally, you know, he he doesn't do it, but something something told him in his heart that it was the right thing to do in, in this situation. And you know, it turns out he's a huge Ohio State Buckeyes fan, despite growing up in New York. And so he kind of felt a little soft spot for Columbus. And if if this was you know something that would help Columbus, he was he was happy to do it. And and uh, yeah, the rest of this history. It's it's just, it's just a wild story. People should uh, read it for themselves. How did you decide what to keep and and what to throw out? And is there anything you've thought of recently that maybe you wish you would have included, or is just going to go in volume two? Maybe. Yeah, it, it, it'll and there's just stuff in volume two. I mean, I mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, in some ways it's kind of like a greatest hits, but it's also not a greatest hits because some of it's just I just had to decide how to group things. So I was like, okay, I'll kind of group things by certain subjects or you know or let's say i had like two stories on josh williams i put the one in that one and i'll put one in volume two or something you know if i you know it's just kind of mapping it out you know that way based on on subjects or um 
or, you know, I guess maybe possible redundancies about, you know, certain players, maybe, you know, one in each one or something like that, you know, keep each one a little fresher, I guess. Right, um, right. So, yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like painstaking to, to cut things because it was more of just taking this big, big blob and just more like portioning it out between, you know, between volume one and volume two. So, yeah, if there's things that people, we're hoping it would be in volume one. I, I imagine they'll be in volume two. Do you have a date for volume two? Or are you still kind of working on that? Yeah, I mean, not ironclad. I mean, yeah. it should be next year. Okay. I mean, because all the, you know, all the hard part of excavating, you know, things is already done. So it's just a matter of, you know, kind of like assembling it and doing the footnote commentary and, and you know, just all that sort of stuff. Yeah. We'll have to have you on for that as well. Well, great job with this book. There's a lot crew fans are going to like in it. Thanks for coming on and, and sharing some of these stories. Where can people find find the book? I'll allow you to plug it another time. Okay. Um, yeah, it's available online at Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble has the hardcover, um, and then Barnes and Noble and Amazon have the paperback. And then locally, if you want to shop local and support a, a local business, uh, Prologue Bookshop in the short north has copies. Um, they're currently sold out, but they will have new copies in starting this Wednesday. So they'll, they'll be back in stock there. So if you want to, you know, shop local and, and not uh, online behemoth, there's there's the option to do that too. Well, there you have it. Cirque, thanks for joining us again. We'll chat soon before the season starts up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. I appreciate you having me on, Jacob. You got it. Thanks again to Steve Cirque for joining us uh, to talk about his new book, A Massive Collection, Volume 1. You can find it in all those places he mentioned. And thanks for listening to the Soccer Speakeasy. January 18th starts up preseason. So if there's any news coming through the wires, we'll record another podcast in the meantime. I'm not quite sure when our next one will be, but if there's any crew news, uh, we'll be sure to get back in the studio here and, and break it down for you. If you know of anyone who likes the show or likes the crew, likes soccer, whatever, please recommend us and, and be sure to leave your five-star rating and review below. I'm Jacob Myers, the crew beat writer here at the Columbus Dispatch. Patrick, kick us out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.